welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 61 for Monday, October 14th, 2019. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me, as always, is Joel Duggan, who the internet knows as Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I'm keeping it real uh, on a mm. holiday weekend here in Canada, so uh, happy Thanksgiving to all my, my Canucks and, and other um, people that are visiting Canada. We have uh, a lot of, like, Friendsgivings that happen. It's a big university town here in Halifax, so people are often away from family. Or they're like, Thanksgiving isn't until November because I'm American. And, yeah, and they're like, yeah. what's all this? And so you have a lot of friends getting together for just meals and just revelry and good times. It is a food-driven holiday, and I am a food-driven human, so I am quite happy to have uh, a chance to hang out with some family and have a nice meal. We had a really nice ham dinner and pumpkin pie yesterday, so I'm still full, <laughs> which is... The uh, pumpkin pie looked especially good. It's getting my uh, my cravings. I have, I've married into a pumpkin pie family. Ah. It's not really a, a traditional dessert here in the UK as much as it is in North America. So yeah, having... Uh, married into uh, an american family then yeah i definitely know the the delights of pumpkin pie now and the one on your instagram looked very good so yeah um, yep. i hope you enjoyed it it was and one of the few real world desserts that you can make in minecraft as a matter of fact i'm surprised that you can't make apple pie in minecraft that's a little disappointing yeah i feel like pam's harvest craft has probably filled that gap for a lot of uh, people yes. you can you can make you can make basically anything in pam's harvest craft yeah now, so that's true that's true it that's happens true. i've been learning a lot about that we can talk about that some other time uh i wanted to mention uh that we uh have had a a lot of growth on the uh patreon page and because we had impulse on last week we didn't get a chance to really thank everybody so we wanted to say thanks to the folks that have been supporting us on patreon uh, it's great to see so many new members of the community. It's so good to see the existing community welcoming those people in. I have not been able to keep up with the Discord chat. It is ridiculous uh, in a good way because it's all positive, interesting, conversational stuff. It's not just fluff. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to give a, a tip of my hat to our, our members and, and a wave uh, and a hello and a thank you to all the new people coming in. That's been great. Uh, what happens when you're a patron? Well, you get in on the Discord. You also get to listen to the Render Distance, which is the extended version of the show. And we just spent a good 15 minutes talking about Star Trek, food, uh, and I think maybe a little bit of, of world news. <laughs> so if those are kind of things that might, you know, scratch that listening itch if you want a little bit of extra uh, Johnny and Joel in your podcasting day, then uh, head on over to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and take a look around. Um, we do have a quarterly hangout coming up this weekend. We're not quite sure yet on the time, sometime between the 18th and the 20th. We will hash out the rest of the uh, information in the Discord with, with our patrons because it's a patron-only thing. Uh, it's something we do uh, four times a year as one of our uh, benefits where we hang out with the, the crowd, talk about where the show is going and how we're going to develop it further. And we're hoping to do that again uh, this weekend. So we'll, we'll keep you all posted. Absolutely. Get on board. Uh, so despite it being Canadian Thanksgiving, I have noticed that you've been streaming quite frequently this week. So what have you been up to in Minecraft? So I decided to take a break from Sunshine for like ever. Uh, I'm still in the <laughs> I'm pretty nether. sure like yeah. most of the Northern Hemisphere is taking a break from yeah. Sunshine right now. <laughs> the weather outside is any judge, yeah. I'm feeling it, man. Like I, I've been working on this fortress farm. I really like it. it. I'm at the grindy part where we've got a slab, like another three quarters of the nether sort of thing. So I, I've not, uh -huh. uh, and I've done a couple of streams like that. So I kind of leave those to like those really chill streams where there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Like it's usually a good thing to do with a heavy Minecraft news week because then you can talk about what's going on, but not talk about what you're doing because really what you're doing is not that interesting um yeah but with um 
with all the back and forth, because I started running out of materials and I um, started to kind of go to the overworld a little bit, I've been back and forth through the East Nether Tunnel. And um, for those of you that don't know, the Citadel is now two and a half years old, uh, the server. And so the tunnels and some of the stuff in the, in the Nether have been around for a while. But unfortunately, they still look like day one Minecraft, like cobblestone <laughs> and nether rack. Uh, and, you know, it's it's block the mobs from being able to see me and from the gas from me be, being able to shoot fireballs at me. And then any road that's out in the nether is made of cobblestone because it, if a gas does shoot something, I don't care because nothing can happen to it. Uh, mm -hmm. but in the process, things are always pretty ugly. Uh, so because we've been back and forth so much to this new farm, uh, and because my swamp base is now a pretty heavy technical part of the, of my life on the server, I decided to decorate the Eastern tunnel. And so in my hub, when you go, uh, in the four cardinal directions, they're color coded. So our, our first desert and our mining desert happened to be West. So our West tunnel is all sandstone and yellow concrete and, you know, looks very, you know, Egyptian um our um as a luck of the draw north which is generally associated in the, at least the northern hemisphere with being cold and um and icy that's where our ice spikes biome is so it's kind of blue mm -hmm. and white um the other two directions east and south are undecided or were undecided until recently but because of the swamp and because of the fortress farm i've now gone with like a green and gray kind of um motif going uh in the east direction but also in a fun twist both the swamp and the fortress farm are very clean, technical glass terracotta concrete builds. Like there's not a lot of like traditional, I say traditional, uh, common Minecraft like medieval style and stonework and all that kind of stuff. It's just non-existent. So it's been fun to be able to try, to try and look at the swamp and what colors and what textures I have going on there, look at the fortress farm and what colors and textures I have going on there and incorporate those into the tunnel designs, uh, which are then adjacent to the nether hub, which is very stony, you know, kind of uh, medieval looking. So it's it's been fun. I, we've got kind of like glass over leaves with, which have lights in, underneath them and we've got uh, uh, concrete walls and we're struggling with what to do with the pillars. Uh, the tunnel itself is actually quite a lot of concrete. So in addition to, again, missing the sun in Minecraft, I'm also really feeling the hurt on how difficult it is to manually craft a lot of concrete. So I feel like a yeah. concrete maker, <laughs> a concrete maker is going to be uh, in my in my near future. And there's some updates coming to the game that is going to make that even easier, I think. So um, I'm looking forward to that because I'm going to need one, especially if I want to do a modern city build. And that's something that this this final, um, I guess, push on the Fortress Farm has kind of really made me itch to try is I want to do more modern designs. And it's so refreshing. I don't want to say it's easy because there's still a lot of like block choices and color choices, but it's so refreshing to just be able to build straight lines and not worry about yeah. curves, not worry about stone textures or having things look like they're layered or 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 ruined you know like have it look like it's got cracks and stuff like it's like no it, this is meant to be pristine and straight <laughs> and that's something that minecraft does very well and so uh even though it's a lot of block placing i've managed to achieve some pretty cool looks so i'm looking forward to doing the city build i'm also looking forward to doing that above above ground i'm definitely um do you get this because I'll, I'll leave my my update here when you are playing minecraft and you spend a lot of time either in the nether or in the end because i know you've got a lot of stuff going on in the end right now uh, when you come back to the overworld, do you feel that kind of like sunshine and, and, and bright, happy feeling and just like, oh, I've missed this? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I was working on building a village in the end, which I did a raid with uh, this week, which was super fun, uh, but I was working with that completely black void sky for a while. And even though I was building overworld terrain, I was having to light it manually and it really didn't feel quite as vibrant as the overworld does. And so, yeah, it does feel like you're stepping back out into the fresh air again when you're back in the overworld after that. And even though I'd been going, you know, to and from the overworld collecting materials and dropping stuff off and that kind of thing, it really feels like once you're back in the overworld for a project, that's when you can start breathing the fresh air again. I feel the same about the nether. It's funny that you mentioned that the nether tunnels are mostly kind of cobblestone and stuff and they're very utilitarian because that's what the nether becomes for me. It's just an A to B. It's just about getting from one place to another. And that's where I'm hoping that some of the nether updates are going to start to provide a little bit more fun, a little bit more reason to stick around in the nether, because if I go to the nether, typically I just want to leave again after a while. So it is it is definitely the case that I'll, I'll enjoy the fresh air of the overworld at that point. Yeah, I spend a lot of industrial time in the nether because I've got super smelters and some storage and some farms and stuff. And the thing I like about the nether is it's so easy to clear space when you've got end game tools. Uh, yeah. And so like if you want a safe place to put a lot of stuff in the overworld, yes, you've got wide open spaces, but you have to build a roof over it and you have to build walls around it or light it like you have to do all these different things. Whereas in the nether, the only thing that you have to do in general is have the floor be spawn proof so that zombie pigmen aren't bugging you. Uh, and I guess if it's a big enough space that ghasts and other things aren't spawning. But then as long as it's enclosed, you're fine. And it's such an easy space to dig out. That's probably why I'd, I end up building like a lot of just boxes and things in 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 Minecraft. I or in the Nether. I I'm a little bit. I'm having some regrets uh, as I've been outside and doing some of these things on both inside and outside of these tunnels in the Nether. I'm realizing just how ugly my Nether hub looks from the outside. Mm -hmm. Like if you're approaching it, you're like, "What on earth is this?" mishmash of stuff on the inside it looks great but on the outside it's just all just whatever i had in my pocket at the time yeah <laughs> yeah know? it's just like you're, you're you're seeing the kind of behind the back lot of that point it's like being on a movie set yes. of like you're, yeah. you're you're seeing the 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 behind the scenes all of the ugly sort of stuff that's propping up all of the beautiful stuff on the inside where the cameras are supposed to be yeah yeah and i had that discussion on stream this weekend actually i uh we, I was designing like the underside of a cobblestone staircase and people are like, what are you doing? It's like, look, I've learned my lesson. Yeah. And as I expand out farther from the hub, even when I'm putting in temporary roads, I at least design them so that if I know I'm going to be seeing it from a couple different angles, it's going to look at least like a, a complete thought as opposed to just stairs thrown on top of nether rack. Like I actually put like a bit of a like support thing because I mean, it takes like two seconds to put down six blocks in a pillar that looks like it's holding up a bridge. And if that's all it mm -hmm. needs to just not look like a, a Minecraft floaty build, then to me, it just adds just a little bit more immersion. And I mean, it gives you something to do on stream and hang out with people. And, you know, sometimes you're just in the mood to like build a 200 block tunnel of, of slabs just because it's relaxing. And you can, um, I think that's the other thing about the nether too, the sense of accomplishment, like you can get something done very fast. If you're not approaching it like everything has to be pristine and beautiful. Like if you're just utilitarian pathway, you can get something done and be like, yes, checkbox. 
have achieved so, mm-hmm. achieved something today. So, but that I mean, that's what I've been doing. What what have you you've been doing in in? Uh, uh, I've been doing something similarly grindy, but again, kind of relaxing. I've been removing a ton of terrain from around a pillager outpost that I found a good distance away from my spawn. It's about five thousand blocks away from my main base. Oh wow! But a a brief jaunt in the Nether. Really, it's only you know four hundred blocks worth of flying in the Nether to get there. Mm. And I it, I chose it because it was on an island mostly surrounded by ocean and that's a perfect location for it to be converted into a raid farm in much the same way that you want to convert a witch farm to have a perimeter of water around it so no other hostile mobs spawn on the surface and it's basically the same thing with this pillager farm and i i may i mainly want to make sure that raid mobs don't spawn super far away so i've been eliminating any smaller islands around there and uh i've i've set up a you know, completely taken down this pillager outpost, set up a a pit for the pillagers to track into. They're going to fall down to where I'm standing, maybe 24 blocks below the surface, attacking them with a sword. As soon as one of them gets bad omen, that triggers a raid. All the raid mobs rush into the same pit, and they all end up, you know, falling into some place where I can kill them more easily, farm emeralds, farm totems of undying. Um... So I've been that's been kind of occupying most of my time. I've I've just been spending a week messing with pillagers, which has been fun. Um, and I I set up a temporary setup for a raid farm out over the ocean, but I had to fly to it in order to trigger the raid. I had to go to an outpost somewhere nearby, get myself bad omen, and then go out into the ocean just to see that this would work and I could actually farm raid mobs in isolation out there without them potentially being a threat to me the main problem is vexes vexes are just generally an irritation Mm. and uh, i I find that as soon as i get a hit on an evoker i can't kill them fast enough for them to not summon vexes before they die and then the vexes are just flying around everywhere irritating me and phasing through blocks and stuff so the latest design has a um a fall incorporated into it so they take enough damage that i can one shot them and hopefully that's going to work out for the right. best yeah 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 that, but, that, that's um, awesome i i i keep i keep on forgetting about pillager farms as a way to farm emeralds because i you, yeah you see people doing mostly trading right now because the trades have not been um fixed i don't think in 114.4 where the, the trades are refreshing very frequently during the day. Yes. Yeah. Basically, any time a villager works at their workstation, they refresh trades mm. instead of them being able to... Twice a day. You know, seem like they're, yeah, they're, they're working throughout the day, but they're only supposed to refresh their trades twice a day. Right. And so, yeah, right now I, I have a ton of emeralds anyway. I'm more doing it for the sake of a demonstration in the survival guide and because it's a farm that I haven't built yet, it's a bit of a technical challenge for me. And it's still something I can get my head around. It's not like a redstone contraption where the circuitry stuff is baffling to me. It's more just working with established mechanics that I know enough about that I think I can right. probably pull this off. And and so far it's been successful. Still needs a little bit of tweaking, but I'm going to work on that over this week. Um, the rest of the week is probably going to be spent upgrading the resource farms I have for the resources that I'm going to trade with my villagers in my trading halls. So I'm going to upgrade my melon and pumpkin farms to be a bit more productive. I'm upgrading, uh, probably, I'm, I'm probably going to do a, a faster sugarcane farm or something like that, and then just work on a few of the other things that I don't really have automated farms for yet, but some of the trades that I wouldn't normally look into, things like being able to trade leather with leather workers and meat with butchers and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, for the sake of, you know, having them and making use of some of those trades. My, my kind of vague goal with this is that I want to have every single trade represented in this uh in this trading hall so i i I kind of want to have 
uh, villagers who can trade me all of the different colors of wool and banners and that kind of stuff because I think cartographers and shepherds will trade you banners now, but they're limited to only two colors each. So I'm going to have to get a lot of cartographers and shepherds to make sure I have all of the colors there. But then, yeah, there's there's some things like librarians, you have 37 possible enchants on books and that kind of thing, not to mention the different levels, but I'm obviously going for the, the highest level where I can. And I just want to be able to do every single trade in the game in this big trading hall that I've built. So uh, I need the farms to match that. The last thing I've been doing, which is actually a bit of fun, is messing with pillagers again, but it is making them friendly in a way that you might have seen some folks doing on, I think on the Hermitcraft server, they've done it a couple of times. I think Rendog and Cubfan did this, where there is currently a bug in which pillager crossbows will break if they fire at stuff enough times. It's like the crossbow has durability like it would in the hands of a player. And... This doesn't happen with any other mob. Skeletons, if they shoot their bow however many times, it's still never going to break. They're never going to run out of arrows. And Vindicators, axes don't break, that kind of thing. But Pillagers, for some reason, the crossbows do break. And when they break, Pillagers don't have any kind of melee attack. So they will just walk around without a weapon and they are quote-unquote friendly or peaceful pillagers. They will still frighten other villagers. Uh, they will probably still become the target of an iron golem if a golem happens to wander past. They're still going to see it as a hostile mob, and they still kind of act in the same way they would if they saw a player. They'll still kind of stand at range from you in a certain way and sort of follow you a little bit if they're kind of aggroed onto you, but they still can't attack you with anything. And what I'm doing with them is I've got a pillager outpost, a separate one, out in the desert. I'm bringing them back through the nether once they've all broken their crossbows, firing at a villager in a box who is perfectly safe. And I'm now populating Founder's Forge, the town I've been working on for ages, with friendly pillagers instead of villagers. Nice. Because the, the villagers I didn't trust to stay alive for long enough, and I also didn't want to accidentally come back into the area with Bad Omen and trigger a raid and have the Ravagers come through and trample Smart. all of the leaf blocks that I've decorated the thing with. Yeah. So I was like, I still want this to feel like it's populated somehow. So how about this other hostile mob that can kind of become neutral? And so, yeah, I, I've got... A few market stalls around the city, a few shops. I'm pretty sure pillagers can't open doors anymore. There was a snapshot in which they could, but then they removed that behavior, and now vindicators with axes can just chop the door down. But I, I decided that it would be kind of fun to have some pillagers in these houses and actually make it feel like the village has a population. It also kind of works in a weird sort of way because pillagers have that kind of gray countenance to them. They have a gray sort of skin texture, and... The uh, ravine that I've centered the whole thing around is supposed to be a kind of magmatic geothermal ravine. There's meant to be ash flying up into the air, and I've actually worked in a few kind of grey wool blocks around the town to make it feel like the sides of some of these buildings are slowly being coated in ash. Same with the trees. I've swapped out a couple of tree trunks for acacia. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun if these were the guys who are working around that ravine all day, and it just gets on their skin. And they're normally villagers, but that's just how, like, they, they've just got, like, covered in ash from a hard day's work at the uh, at the ravine, kind of mining the place out. So it, it all kind of ties together in an interesting way. And plus, their outfits fit quite nicely with the aesthetic of this town. They feel like a little bit steampunky in their, their costumes. So right, they do, yeah. I kind of... I, 
I like the idea of having these friendly pillagers around, and I'm hoping that whatever updates happen to fix this bug doesn't mean that they're just going to be handed back all of their crossbows, and then the entire town is going to come in and attack me at the end. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what 1.15 and beyond brings. But yeah. for now, friendly pillager town. It's it's going well so far. I haven't given much thought into you know moving pillagers, villagers around because I've been just waiting for the dust to settle for what Moyang is going to actually do for these final villager changes because I've I've noticed in some of the let's plays that I watch where the mentality seems to be shifting from having individual villager cells to and one hall where you have all of your trades to well put the trades for the villagers that you want near where you need them so like um there's you can get quartz now from from masons and so I'm thinking in my world, well, why would I want to have a mason trade in the villager hall when I should bring a bunch of villagers to my swamp and have a bunch of them be masons, trade a bunch of quartz with them and have it go into my main storage system like it just, yeah. it, and have all the stone be there. And then if I want other trades like books and librarians and stuff, yeah, sure. Put those in the main trading hall next to Dartmouth Meadows where like everybody lives and have it be accessible to everyone. Um, but it seems like the, the go-to method right now is to have like a lot of, uh, profession blocks around because villagers are randomly forgetting their profession block and they won't choose the one directly in front of them necessarily. So if they don't have a way to pathfind to these other blocks, they, they get hung up. And the solution that I've seen a lot of people do is to have a floor of profession blocks covered in carpet and then have the villagers all in one like kind of three by three or five by five room, you can still reach them and trade with them and stuff. They're not, it's not as easy because they, they have to be able to move around. Uh, but because of that, they can then, if they forget their profession block and reclaim another one, it's, they just walk five blocks and, and get to it. They can still restock their trades and stuff. So if you're farming one particular resource, it seems like having a small corral of villagers is the way to go in the same way that you would, you know, die six or eight sheep, you know, and shear them whenever you walk by to get a specific kind of wool rather than having to dye wool. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a different approach. It's, it's, it's interesting now after months of having 114 be out, n seeing the difference in like, well, what's not necessarily the most efficient, but like, what's the more convenient, what's a different approach than just doing the same thing that people have been doing for like probably two or three years, you know, in, yeah. or two or three versions, I should say of, of the game with the villagers. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I really like the, uh, the fact that we can still be you know however many months on this is from the update coming out we can still be trying to figure out what the best way is it's, mm. it's not like we settled on like this is the way you do it right at the beginning and then everyone has done it like that since the fact that there is so much depth to the way these things work i feel like makes it a good feature even if it's occasionally frustrating the fact that there are a variety of approaches and none of them seems to be the quote-unquote best way of doing things is quite a good thing for me because it encourages people to be a bit more unique and take a variety of approaches. Yeah, as opposed to just repeating the same designs that they see online over and over again. So, And I think, too, that I mean, the reason why these groups of villagers work better, currently it's because of a bug. But even without that bug, it's still, I think, more, more efficient or it makes more sense to not have one place with all your villagers and instead have them next to or in more convenient places. Now, it's harder to move villagers around. So, I mean, I get, I get, I get that kind of idea. Like, for me to move villagers to the swamp is kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, so, 
I can see the the push and pull. But I mean, if if you're in it for the long haul, if you're on a world that you're not resetting every you know twelve months or something, then then I can see the the draw to it. But but speaking of all these changes, uh, we uh, can move on into the news. Uh, last week we had a snapshot drop. It was snapshot nineteen W forty one A, in which we have access to the honey block and the honeycomb blocks. Uh, honeycomb is purely decorative, but honey blocks, as showed off at Minecon Live, will limit walking speed, jump and height, and fall damage. Uh, players, uh, sorry, jump height, not jump and height. You don't get shorter. Uh, jump height and fall damage. Uh, players and mobs stick to honey blocks when pushed, including entities, so items do it as well. Uh, good for sliding downwards and wall running. Accessibility additions to the snapshot include sneak and sprint can now be toggled, which is going to be uh, great for people's pinkies or in somebody's cases, a thumb. Uh, minor <laughs> changes to the narrator uh, have also occurred in the accessibility options. Uh, players can now use command blocks to spectate specific entities instead of having to fly over and right click on it. I didn't know that you could spectate entities anyway. So this was news to me. So I thought this was yeah. fantastic. And there's some, there's some quite interesting effects when you do that with say a spider your your screen will actually segment into different like sections the way spiders have eight eyes really um yeah it's really disorienting but you can spectate entities that way and people use it for like pvp games and if you're in spectator mode after you've like died and you want to see something from a specific person's perspective you can do that but now i think it's going to be interesting for map makers stuff like this but it is potentially possible to have a player put into spectator mode and then immediately have them link into a specific entity so they're spectating from its point of view interesting so looking forward to seeing how people use that for dramatic effect in some kind of like in-game cutscene or something like yeah. that maybe. yeah 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 spectate bat cue barf mode <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> no thank you uh there's also a handful of bug fixes that are outlined on the link to the snapshot post on minecraft.net we'll have that in the show notes as well but one that we thought would be worth mentioning is mc131552 can't craft stripped wood from stripped log uh what that means is that uh, you would have to previously uh make a stripped log and then tur no you'd have to make a full bark block and then strip that but now you can craft a stripped uh, block out of a stripped log, correct? Yes. yes, and that was that was something that I thought it would be worth including in the show notes because that always trips me up. Anytime mm. I strip a bunch of wood and I think, oh, wait, no, there's going to be a window there, so I want glass panes and it's going to be visible, like the end texture is going to be there. I'll turn all of these into stripped wood that has the strip texture on all six sides instead of having a log end texture. And then I realize that I've stripped all the wood already and I can't convert them into stripped wood things from stripped logs. And it's just, it was just a bit of a pain. And I think a lot of people have even put in a crafting recipe yeah. using a data pack or something like that because mm -hmm. of how obvious this seemed. And if it's been listed as a bug, then maybe it was intended as a feature and just the crafting recipe never worked for some reason. So good to know that's been added into the game. Just another little quality of life thing to add to the many quality of life features we've had lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, bees are in the bed bedrock beta, so Xbox One, Android, Windows 10 players can now find bees in the latest beta version. And Xbox One update reminder, players on legacy Xbox One edition have until November 30th, 2019 to upgrade to bedrock edition for free. Uh, I did not keep up on any of the bedrock uh, beta news. Uh, did you have any notes on this to this week? 
not not especially. Just to to point out that the Bedrock Beta now has access to bees. We've been playing with bees in the Java snapshots for a few weeks now. They're super fun. They're very cute. I recommend checking them out if you have access to the beta. And I don't know if the honey blocks and honeycomb blocks were added as part of that, but uh, we'll talk about them in a little uh, in, in a second. But the the physics around those is is super interesting and good to have a try with if you uh, want to get a sneak peek at what's to come. Uh, the Xbox One update reminder I thought would be worth mentioning here, uh, only because I imagine there's you know a couple of people out there who might still be playing the Legacy Xbox One edition. And um, it, it's kind of like when the Windows 10 beta went away for Java players that you, you couldn't now, uh, after a certain point, if you bought Java Minecraft, you couldn't get the Bedrock Edition on Windows 10 for free. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. I recommend uh, Bedrock Edition is probably the um, the better choice on Xbox One because it has cross-play with Windows 10 and tablets and Nintendo Switch as well. Um but I think uh, for the, for some people who might still be playing on the Legacy Xbox One edition, it's good to know that you have a deadline for that, basically. So I thought that was worth it. Just on the off chance that anybody, you know, I don't think anybody actually gets their Xbox One edition news from this podcast. But in case you do, uh, just bear in mind that you have until the end of next month to upgrade to Bedrock Edition mm. if you want to do so. Otherwise, you'll have to buy it as a separate game from the xbox live arcade or something whatever it's called now xbox store yeah i know that we have a number of listeners that play on java but they have other family members that play on uh bedrock or on console that sort of thing uh yeah do you do you know what version of minecraft players are on if they're using their um game pass uh, xbox game pass is that what it's called I would strongly assume it is Bedrock Edition. Yeah, that's what I would be thinking. Game Pass, Game Pass is a very recent thing, mm-hmm. so I imagine that they're not going to be plugging the Legacy Console Edition yeah. on their newest platform. Yeah. But who knows? It it might be, but I strongly doubt it. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Bedrock Edition. Okay, yeah. So the pe- the people that are figuring out what to do with Xbox, the one Legacy, they they might instead of buying Bedrock, they may also look at just a Game Pass because it would be included in. And that kind of yeah. thing as, as you're looking to what your upgrade options are. Uh, I have not had time to play around personally with the Honey Block. I've watched a few videos on it, though, but you have. So what, what are your thoughts on, on the Honey Block? I played around them with them very briefly at the end of a stream because people came into my chat and said, oh, the snapshot's out and it's got the Honey Blocks. And I thought, well, we've seen these at Minecon already and the devs were quite enthusiastic about them, saying how they have potential for parkour maps and stuff like that. They've got potential. I, I really do think they're an interesting addition to the game. There are some things which are, I know, causing, if not controversy, then they are a little bit divisive in the community, um, particularly the fact that they stick to slime blocks because I think a lot of people... After, I think Mumbo Jumbo made a video about this recently and Seth Bling then turned it into a data pack where if you had different colored slime blocks, they wouldn't stick to each other and it provided greater depth of slime block mechanics for use in redstone contraptions, which Mm. could have been a really interesting thing. However, the fact that they do stick to slime blocks means that you can potentially use them for flying machines to move items, mobs, and entities around, which provides another interesting technical avenue that I'm looking forward to people exploring. Um... As far as how players interact with them, it's been quite well thought through and quite well executed. The fact that you can slide down them is super fun. The fact that that allows you to effectively wall run, which I think was what they were hinting at with them being good for parkour maps, because 
if you have a long line, maybe like a, a wall-sized section of honey blocks, then if you're traveling horizontally, if you're trying to run forwards and you're sticking to them on one side, then you're going to travel downwards a lot slower than normal, but you're still going to get the same horizontal travel. Your vertical travel is going to be much less, which means effectively you can clear larger gaps by just kind of hugging the wall on one side, mm. kind of Mirror's Edge style. If, you, if you've played yep. any of those games or any of the kind of like parkour sort of Assassin's Creed style games where you're running up and down surfaces, I think that's got a similar kind of vibe to it. Still looks super goofy if you're in third person or if you're watching <laughs> somebody else do it, but, um, you know, we would probably need knees for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 super fun. And items, to a certain extent, do the same thing. So if you chuck an item at this honey block wall, it will do the same thing. It will kind of coast a little bit along the side and will drop a lot less than it travels horizontally, meaning that in theory you could use it to throw items across gaps as well. And there are a few applications there. I'm not sure if any of it is particularly practical. And it does make me wish stuff like dispensers were more consistent with the angle they spat items out at. Because you can dispense items like that, but because of the random direction they get given when they leave the dispenser, it is not always guaranteed that they're going to stick to the honey block and sometimes they fall and that's less predictable. So yeah, there, mm. there are obviously advantages to that and... I think if they were going to stick with one specific direction to fire stuff out of dispensers, it would be straight, at which point they probably wouldn't interact with the honey blocks at all, so it, it kind of makes sense for the, the direction to be a little bit random. But I, I like them so far. They, they look very good yes. as well. It's one of, my, one of my first notes, really, was that they, they look really good, and, of course, being a transparent block, kind of like slime, mm -hmm. you can hide light sources behind them and have this glowing wall of honey if you want to... Um, yeah, I like the look of them a lot. I think they're a very well-produced block, and I'm not sure if... I, I think mechanically they are probably done, unless there are any significant community sort of notes on, on how they could be improved. I think it's a, it's a good addition, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when technical players get their hands on them. I can think of a couple of things, but I haven't been mucking about in the snapshots too heavily. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I didn't realize, uh, and I have to tip my hat to uh, Cubfan once again for doing a very in-depth, like, 20-minute video exploring all the different mechanics. He did a snapshot video, but he also did, like, a honey block video. And uh, I learned a couple things that were not mentioned in, in the notes from Moyang, and that is the honey block is not a full block. Uh, so if you have two honey blocks next to one another, you can actually shoot an arrow between them, and it will travel through them. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's, that's weird. And you know how when an item, uh, you talk about the player going up against, you know, and wall running, you know, and, and sticking to the side of the block. Similar to how you sink into soul sand vertically, you sink into the honey block horizontally. So if yes. you go down a, a stack of honey blocks and in the middle of that stack of honey blocks is, say, a stone block, you'll stop on the stone block. That's something I noticed when I was streaming as well. Yeah. We, we did manage to... I, and I was throwing items against a wall of honey blocks and having them all come to rest on the bottom of the uh, the kind of stack of, yep. of honey blocks where there was a stone block. And then I realized you can put a hopper underneath that and it will suck in an item into the hopper once it comes to rest on the hopper, but from the side of the honey block, basically. Yeah. So it, that's, it, that's in, a really interesting mechanic. In the same way that people use chests to get an entity up against the edge of a of a stream. You don't have to worry about it too much right now with uh, the way that mechanics work in the new floating um, entities in 113. However, in the nether where you can't have a water stream, I currently have a piston pushing items along an ice 
surface. And I have to align those items up to the, uh, the edge of that ice block and hopper in order to get the hoppers to pick them up. And I, the step is the items have to be dropped down and then pushed horizontally into, um, into the wall. In this particular case, because the honey blocks would be able to be used in the nether, you, all you'd have to do is just have the item be dispensed horizontally into the honey block, and then it's already lined up when it hits the bottom. Um, and I, when you were talking about dispensers, were you thinking maybe droppers? Because I think, because do dispensers do items or do they only do certain items? I mean, no, they, they'll do, they'll they'll throw items out. They have unique behaviors for stuff like if you've got a flint and steel in it, it creates ah, fire. Okay. If you if you have a pumpkin, it places yeah. the pumpkin, providing that there's a solid block in front of it. But right. the rest of the time, they will still dispense other items. Okay, there's no cool. unique action that a dispenser has for like a block of stone or right. something like and that. And so they have the same randomness that a dropper does because I have the yes. same issue with droppers into water streams. You kind of have to put a couple of blocks over those first two blocks of space because otherwise you have a potential that the item could not not be in the water stream but land outside of it you kind of have to create a little one by one tunnel you know in order yeah. to, to captivate everything um so when i was watching cub's video he had done that vertically he had made a little column and so the items coming out of the dispenser had no choice but to hit the honey block they couldn't go anywhere else um something that i thought about too was that if you've got a honey block in a flying machine and it is currently one block above the ground so say it's it's like a um there's an air block as it's traveling if there's any items on the ground i'm wondering if an item exists in that air block if it gets pulled even though it's not technically touching the honey block uh i'm i'm curious i have to try that out because that could be again with flying machines you might be able to drag stuff you know you might be able to use these things to harvest things and get them to stop over a hopper line or something at the end of a farm um, and, and use them that way. I'm a little disappointed in the same way that much of the redstone technical community has stated that they, they stick to everything exactly like a slime block. I, I yeah. wasn't expecting it to be any kind of crazy groundbreaking thing, but I also kind of thought, well, here's an opportunity of a different color block that operates differently to have it not stick to different things it has the same kind of like non-sticking properties as, as a slime block in that furnaces immovable entities um uh, po uh, not polished what's it called um glazed terracotta so the honey block doesn't stick to the same blocks that a slime block doesn't stick to the main problem that people have is that honey blocks and slime blocks stick to one another uh and i think people were hoping for for some i guess room there some wiggle room it doesn't make any sense i get that if it's a sticky block or like slime blocks are bouncy right honey blocks are sticky so it would make sense yeah. that the slime that the sticky honey blocks actually stick to the sticky slime blocks um yeah but i just i i can see i can see why people are, are disappointed in that but i feel like as you pointed out there's enough unique properties about the honey block that I think what you're going to end up seeing is a lot of unique combinations of using a slime block flying machine with a honey block in a specific location that's going mm -hmm. to help with moving stuff. Um, one of the coolest things I saw, granted it was slow, but take a look at something like uh, you built a piston bolt recently. Instead of moving a minecart along a track, all you have to do is move a honey block. As long as it can be moved and you've got something on it, 
the armor stand or you or a villager or whatever it is, is going to stick to that honey block when it's moved. So as long as you can make the track of something that the honey block won't stick to, it's to, it, you can transport stuff. Yes. So you're, you're going to be able to, if nothing else, you can stand on it and be whisked away in a kind of like moving conveyor belt floor. Yeah, exactly. Kind of situation. And, and even if it's not the most efficient way to travel think about it in the kind of fun applications like i'm thinking of last christmas when i was watching um uh, impulse and tango build the uh little santa's workshop when they had like the armor stands moving around and they had like the little the little baby zombies dressed up as elves running back and forth and like so the kind of thing that you could do with a slime block where you can just if you have an entity that's on it and you can move that slime block you can move that entity anywhere and, and yeah. have it move around at, at, at whatever, like however your redstone contraption can do it. And so I just the idea of having like, you know, zombie pop up, zombie not pop up, zombie move over here, zombie come down. Like there's a bunch of different fun things that you could do with this. And I think that um, just a little bit of extra time with the community that we're going to see some fun stuff with the honey block. Um, how do you feel about the honeycomb? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> That's my my only note about it is that it's it's okay. I'm I'm kind of disappointed there is not more to it. Or if there isn't more to it, then I kind of hope that the honeycomb item can be used for something else. Mm. Because right now honeycomb blocks are just a four by four of honeycomb that you would get from a beehive. And typically items in Minecraft have multiple uses. Like for example, phantom membrane as a recent example. Brew it, and you get a um. Uh, slow falling potion alternatively you can use it as a material to repair your elytra right so there's two uses for that which otherwise might seem like a very niche item but they're two fairly practical uses whereas uh honeycomb right now just has the one use which is to make blocks and i guess maybe it looks pretty in an item frame or something but there isn't really much else you can do with that so i'm kind of hoping that further down the line we get something to justify the honeycomb's existence outside of just making honeycomb block the block itself looks quite pretty i like the texture i can imagine using it in some sort of art deco builds here and there it looks really nice next to quartz um so i was messing around with that and some of the textures and stuff but the the honey block rather than the honeycomb block is definitely the star of this yeah. latest snapshot you took the me. words out of my mouth single use it doesn't seem to have much going for it in terms of why would i want to build it because even as a texture it doesn't seem to look like anything else other than a honeycomb right yeah you can maybe do some weird retro 70s wallpaper in the house with it but i don't like i don't, i really i don't know how practical it's going to be um Plus, it's not the easiest thing to get either. Like, so you're not going to necessarily see, I say not, we know all know the people in this game can push it to its limits and get tons of everything. But, you know, like you're probably not going to see like huge nether tunnels coated in honeycombs. Uh, no, and you know. the, the same is kind of true for the honey block. I'm kind of interested in what the capacity of some people's bee farms is going to be with mm. regards to making honey blocks. Because obviously, once you've got a decent setup for a slime farm, you have slime blocks for days. Whereas, you know, you're crafting them by the stack, whereas with honey, you need four bottles of honey to make one honey block. That's quite a high, can, like, it's quite a high price for the for the block, and, and I think rightfully so. Mm. And that's probably why I don't see them replacing slime blocks as far as being a sticky resource and using them for that. And you'll probably only need a couple of honey blocks at a time if you just want to use them for technical purposes. But yeah, you're going to need a pretty large bee farm and some sort of automation there to be able to collect enough honey to really do what you want with a honey block. 
And like you say, same with the honeycomb. I think the honeycomb mainly exists because now there are bees in the game. There are going to be a lot of people who want to do bee-themed builds. And it's a really obvious theme block for, like, if you want to make a giant beehive and have it coated on the inside and that's where all of your bee nests are and that kind of thing, Mm. then sure, go for it. And that's going to look really nice. But I think beyond that, it doesn't have much use we'll, we'll see what yes. it, i think yeah, it make a it's still time. make a really nice wallpaper or something yeah. like that <laughs> if um, nothing else one of the things that you just mentioned kind of had my my imagination going uh, in the same way that you use a campfire to pacify the bees uh with with um the bee is it bee nests or beehives or maybe it does both um but the campfire is a block that you can use to affect the bees in that way what if the honeycomb if in proximity to a beehive would increase honey production right like maybe maybe it it has that kind of a, a buff you know to production it could do yeah you know? yeah i like i like that idea like having it be almost like a, a stimulus block kind yeah. of thing for them that yeah that makes sense yeah. that makes sense could could happen and i'm sure there are lots of people with lots of great suggestions out there as well so mm. they're going to be flooding in now that we've seen what they've actually dreamed up for the uh, the honey the uses of honey and honeycomb Speaking of flooding in, our chunk mail inbox overfloweth with uh, awesome emails uh, and feedback from you guys. And so we've got one from Rob M. this week. And Rob says, hey guys, I'm a new listener. In the last couple of months, I've been completely sucked into Minecraft. I am messaging you because Joel asked if anyone out there who was newer to Minecraft uh, but got into it because of a big YouTuber. And that's exactly how I did. After watching a few PewDiePie videos, uh, this recent Minecraft series, I decided to give it a chance. In addition, my five-year-old son has also began playing after gaming, uh, getting a free trial version for the Nintendo Switch. So here we go. We got um, uh, the PC versions and, and Nintendo Switch versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I figured I would see what all the fuss was about. I am now many, many hours, welcome to our world, into uh, my own single-player survival world on Java. Uh, I have watched all of the survival guide and used many of the tips uh, that Johnny has provided. I seriously love this game and your podcasts have been fantastic. It's amazing that this game can captivate both a five-year-old and a 35-year-old with so much fervor. My son and I have had a lot of fun watching tutorials and let's plays together. It's a pretty wholesome and mind-expanding experience all the way around. I do have a question for you guys, though. With the Nether update on the horizon, I keep hearing about reloading chunks in a new version of the game. Game, excuse me. And I am confused about how things will work with the Nether upgrade or update. Uh, will the Nether completely reset when I eventually update to the new version? What will happen to things like my gold farm, my Nether hub? my ice roads, etc. Thanks and keep up the good work. Uh, Rob, first, thanks so much for the kind words on the podcast. I'm, I'm happy that you and uh, your son get so much out of it and are enjoying the game together. That's fantastic news. And thank you for uh, saying you've watched all the Survival Guide episodes as well. That's uh, that's super cool. So um, I'll, I'll take this to start off with. Uh, new generation, new terrain generation, new structures will never show up in chunks that you have already loaded. So if you have been to a chunk, if you've actually explored that area of the terrain, then you can pretty much guarantee that new terrain generation isn't going to overwrite any of that. The reason being, the game has no way of knowing whether the player has built something there. It doesn't like tag every block you place as like, okay, a player has placed this, so we shouldn't do anything to it. So Mojang doesn't want to overwrite something the player has done, 
Uh, so your farms, your ice roads and stuff, that's all going to be safe. You will need to explore beyond where you have already explored in the nether in order to find new terrain generation when new chunks are going to be loaded. That's where you're going to find all of the new content, which can be a little bit difficult at times because... As Minecraft players, we like to explore a whole lot, and there are often areas of the world which are generated to such an extent that you're having to travel hundreds, if not thousands of blocks away to find anything new. And this used to be quite a regular problem when, uh, back in the days of Minecraft 1.6 and 7, when they started adding a bunch of new biomes, new structures, when things like Mesa biomes were added, when ocean temples were added, players had been playing on worlds for upwards of a year and there really was no like place they hadn't explored within a couple of thousand blocks so you just have to keep going further and further away so a lot of people resort to editing their world one of the tools that you can have to do that is called mca selector uh, you can use that to trim chunks from an existing world uh, or if you've not been precious with your nether, although it sounds like you have been, uh, but if anybody out there really doesn't care much about what they've done in the nether, you could just reload the whole file. And so the new MCA file, uh, it's in a dim folder, which stands for dimensions. Uh, and the dim one uh, file is the nether. Uh, and uh, dim dim minus one is sorry the nether. sorry I should, dim I, I minus one that, that that's that's not just a hyphen in the show notes dim minus one is important because if you think of like the main dim folder is the overworld dim negative one so it's like the one below that right. is the nether and there's one that's also called dim one without the minus and that's the the end right because it's like a, the, kind of a relic from when it was going to be like a sky dimension basically so if you think of the nether is above the end is below it or, or vice versa sorry the, yeah, the yeah. nether is below the end is above it kind of it makes a little bit of sense that way and it'll be very clear if you use a tool like mca selector because when you open up those files you get to look down at the world kind of like you look at a map in minecraft and you get to see where you've built where you've loaded chunks where you haven't where you've loaded chunks and you know that there's nothing there uh, so uh, i did this specifically when uh, the citadel updated to 114.4 uh, we decided when we heard that the updates were coming to not really explore too far in our overworld. And so I knew where everything was. I talked to a bunch of people and asked where they had traveled. And so we just kind of like removed all of the loaded chunks that we weren't using, got rid of the file. I had a lot of backup, so I wasn't worried. And then when we upgraded to 114 and people started exploring away from the Dartmouth Meadows, they didn't have to go very far before they started running into pillager raids, new villages and, and done in the new the new way with the new blocks and profession blocks and all this kind of stuff. So it, it's really not um, not too challenging, especially in the nether where you probably haven't done that much. And if you have, it's very localized. Like you're going to be, okay, that's my hub. That's my gold farm. These are my roads. I can delete everything around this and be totally safe and potentially have new nether biomes generate right next to your hub. Like who knows, right? I would give yourself yeah. a little bit of a buffer. Like I didn't trim right up to the edge of my builds. I, I kind of like looked at the continent that all of our stuff was on and said, okay, I'm going to delete everything up to like the, the oceanic shelf. And then the next 
kind of like continents were all brand new builds. Um, I'm going to tip my hat to Cosmic Dancer, one of her mods. Uh, she looked this up for me on the weekend. The Spawn Chunks episode 39, uh, Turning the Tables. We actually talked about MCA Selector. We have a link in the show notes there. We'll do it again this week. Uh, we also have a link to this guy named Pixarus made a tutorial about how to use MCA Selector <laughs> and, uh, and how to do all of this. So there's a visual guide for you uh, that you can check out on Pixarus channel and, uh, and learn how to use MCA Selector. I watched the tutorial and I did it and it's it's really dead simple it's intimidating because it's your it's your world but make a backup and and play around with it in a single player and then you should be able to see uh like in a copy and you should be able to see how it works yeah that is what I strongly recommend above all else when you're going to do any kind of world editing operation like this make backups because you will thank yourself later for that um but yeah the, the cool thing about MCA selector I didn't quite get the feature to work for me on that version that I was running uh, for the tutorial, but it may have improved since, or maybe just the size of my world was a problem for it. But you can actually get it to filter chunks that you have been in for less than a certain amount of time. So you can filter it by like, I've been here for less than an hour. Okay, I probably haven't built anything significant there. You can maybe go there and check that you haven't left a chest of resources there or something like that. But if you spent less than half an hour there, for example, you're probably not going to have built anything significant. You can tell it to delete specifically those chunks, and then it will leave the rest of the world completely untouched and so that can be kind of useful if you've got a large amount of stuff and you don't want to draw around the outside of it to kind of cut out whole chunks of the terrain if you're not really certain which areas you've done a whole bunch of stuff in and you don't have the time to go through your world and meticulously find all of the stuff that you've built that might be a good option for you if you can get it to work which hopefully it works a little bit more robustly than uh, it did when i was messing with it so let's move on to our main discussion topic for the week and stay in the theme of the nether because we've had a lot of, uh, like Joel was saying, a lot of emails as a result of the stuff that's been announced at Minecon and this one from underscore 111 caught our eye. Uh, they say, hi, I'm a big fan of the Spawn Chunks and as none of my friends are really into Minecraft like I am, it was exciting to hear you guys talk about the results of Minecon Live on this week's episode. I'm so excited to have new biomes in the nether. One of the things that struck me as interesting in the new features of the Nether update was the fact that the piglins have the beginnings of a solid lore, the first I think we've ever seen in Minecraft. They have a bartering system, they dislike wither skeletons, they hunt the piglin beasts for food, and they live in these structures called bastions. There's also a zombified version of them. All of this information that we have so far leads to questions about the origin and culture of these creatures, something that doesn't really exist for any other mob in Minecraft so far. How did they get there? Why do they like gold? so much? How did they become zombified and why do they dislike wither skeletons? I've always thought end cities had an interesting and mysterious lore surrounding them, with hints of a civilization living in the end that developed this elytra technology and have long since abandoned these elaborate cities for the player to find, but this is just my own theorizing, we don't have an actual mob that would inhabit these cities. Shulkers lived there but they seem to be more of a pest problem that got out of hand. <laughs> and and a sidebar from the email here, I really like the idea of shulkers developing and just like levitating whatever was there just out of the city. <laughs> like they're kind of like like bed bugs that just make you float and then suddenly you're like, well, we're not going back there again. I guess we have to fumigate the place and move on. Um anyway, back to the email. As for villagers and illagers, there's not really much depth to be explored there in terms of lore. The announcement of the piglins and all they are brings up many new questions about the relationship between these creatures and the fiery dimension in which they live. I thought this was interesting as usually everything in Minecraft is meant to be vague with intentional openings left for the imagination to do its thing. 
Do you think we're going to learn more about the piglins? And how do you feel about the potential of Minecraft going in this potentially lore-based direction? Do you wish there was more lore to be discovered, or do you think Minecraft should leave it to the imagination? Thanks for reading, underscore 111. Thank you so much for that very, very good email. I'm I'm excited to see that there are people diving into the lore side of Minecraft, because Mojang has mentioned in the past that there is an internal lore. I'm pretty sure this was in a Q&A with Jeb a while ago. They said that there is a kind of... They, in, in theory, in-house, they have an idea of why everything in Minecraft is the way it is, but it's not something they intend to tell people about explicitly in the game because it's more fun to see players come up with their own theories and, as you say, project their own imagination onto things. But you're right that there is a little bit more depth to the piglins as mobs, and whether that's Mojang trying to just inject a little bit more depth in terms of gameplay into the update, or maybe you know, showing some of that lore and the inner workings behind it, or just justifying why zombie pigmen are there to begin with. Uh, it's it's pretty fun. So how do you feel about this, Joel? How do you feel about the, the lore-based direction? Do you think Minecraft should have more stuff like this? Do you think pigmen, uh, piglins are kind of the, the first sign of it going in that direction? What I like about this is the specific culture of the piglin that they're focusing on. They're not telling you why the nether exists or why you are the player there. They're just giving you a set of behaviors and a little bit of backstory for this particular mob in the game. And I think that's a, a great line to walk. Um, I want to know more about skeletons and zombies and husks and uh, what's the other one? The, the ice skeleton, what are they called? Strays. Strays. So there's, a, there's some variations of these um, different mobs. Or, we always kind of jokingly complain about the the number of zombies, including the drowned, uh, in in the game. And one of the things that I, I made me think of is that I feel like the village and pillage update is their first crack at trying to add some culture into the villagers, which really previously were kind of dull. Like they just had different coats. Like there was there were different coat colors. They didn't really have a lot of depth to them. Uh, whereas now they have workstations, behaviors. They have um uh trades and they have professions they have um a little bit more of an in-depth relationship not that it's it's that complicated but illagers look like pillagers so they're like oh so these these could potentially in your in your mind be bad guy villagers or a, a certain sect that have kind of split off and live a different lifestyle have a different culture a very violent culture on on the the world and I think we're just seeing Lord version 1.2 kind of like with the piglin. I think it's, it seems to be more thought out. It seems to be a little bit more precise. Uh, and I like it because it gives you more inspiration as a player. I think they're probably going to do, we haven't seen these bastions yet. I don't think. Um, but if they're anything like the Minecraft villages, they're going to be fairly simple, probably incorporate some new materials, probably some new materials that we find in the nether in the new nether update. Um, but that's going to encourage players to make their own piglin village or build in the nether and saying, okay, well, if the piglin are supposed to be here and this is a culture that they have, what can I make as a player that would be like a piglin city? Like, what would that look like? Uh, and I, I really like that idea. I don't know what they could do in terms of retcon to, to look at like zombies and skeletons and stuff, but I kind of wish that they had more of a behavioral kind of thing, similar to how like, you know, 
wolves and dogs will go after skeletons. Uh, creepers are scared of cats. Uh, zombies are attracted to villagers, and you can kind of use that to manipulate their behavior a little bit. Uh, I kind of want more happening in the realm of zombies and skeletons in the overworld because now next to illagers and piglin and zombified piglin they're going to feel a little bit lackluster don't you think yeah i think what they're doing with this nether update in particular adds something to the nether that i feel like is almost missing from certain aspects of the overworld and it comes down to one word which is ecosystem Mm. because you've got a piglin race there that is self-sustaining. They hunt stuff for food. They have currency. There is a certain amount of, like, there's a feeling that they can take care of themselves. And that is something for which the player is very much the steward of the overworld. You basically are the ecosystem after a certain point. And you touch briefly on some behaviors where, like, wolves will go after skeletons. Wolves will also go after sheep. You have things like foxes and wolves occasionally fighting if they meet each other in the wild. You have, you know, various animals like cats or ocelots will go after chickens, that kind of thing. But there is so little sense of a self-sustaining culture outside of seeing a villager farmer farming crops and throwing them to the other villagers. There doesn't really seem to be a sense of a balanced Minecraft ecosystem beyond what the player projects onto it. Whereas I think with piglins, what we're getting is a sense of that ecosystem, along with the new biomes and stuff that they're adding to the nether to make it a little bit more dynamic and interesting. We're getting a self-sustaining tribe of these creatures. And again, the zombified versions of them is one thing. And you can imagine that, you know, just spending a certain amount of time in the nether has corrupted them in some way. Maybe they spend too long in a soul sand valley and they turn into something. I forget if it, I don't think it was you. It might have been somebody in the Spawn Chunks Discord or somebody in my stream chat, but they said they thought it'd be really cool if a skeleton in the soul sand valley just turned into a wither skeleton by virtue of it being there for too long they kind of convert in the same way that the drowned do um so maybe there could be this sense that the nether is corrupting them in some way and that's going into a bit more speculation towards the lore side of things but i really do think what the piglin adds is a dynamic ecosystem kind of thing that you don't really see elsewhere you certainly don't see it in the end which is meant to be entirely barren and the only thing that lives out there is endermen aimlessly moving blocks around if you bring them the right sort of blocks and yeah i i, I feel like the overworld is lacking that in, in in much the same way you were saying with uh zombies and skeletons not really having all that much depth to them both in terms of mechanics and in terms of their sort of reason for being there that's the type of stuff we're starting to see with the piglins is kind of there's logic behind them actually being there in the first place. Mm. I'm also really excited to see what their structures look like, the bastions. We we only know them by name so far. We don't know what they look like. And a few people have started to speculate about that. There have been people building structures for them, uh, you know, in theory, uh, kind of along the same lines as what I was doing with building the, uh, the Nether 1.16 or Nether Update biomes. Uh, with the blocks that we already have in the game. Some people are building structures for them out of nether brick and nether wart and seeing if maybe they're the ones who've built the nether fortresses, but then they've been kicked out by the wither skeletons. That's why they're mad at them. There is so much we can speculate about. I think they are probably going to leave most of it to the imagination, though, because to put lore into the game, you kind of have to give it in some form of text or dialogue, 
And Minecraft is not a dialogue game. Mm. It is very much a game where you observe things happening in the world around you and draw your own conclusions from that. And I think that's what they're doing with the behavior, like you mentioned, with them not liking wither skeletons. Like it just, it, they just, they put that behavior in, they make it a note in the, in the patch notes or they make it a note in the presentation and then they leave it up to the player as to why. The, yeah. the, the what is determined by the game mechanics, but the why is left up to the player. I think what we're seeing more in this another update with the, with the piglin is that we have more what. They have more things happening. They have more reasons uh, unbeknownst to us for their behavior. And I feel like we, when we have skeletons and, and, and zombies in the overworld, we have less reasons. They just kind of wander around and kind of wander towards the player. I mean, they're meant to be more early game mobs, so maybe they have to be more simple. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of, you know, like like you mentioned, a, a wither skeleton or a skeleton being in like a soul sand valley and then turning into a, a wither skeleton, similar to how like a drowned, you know, uh, is created from a zombie drowning in water. I kind of wish there was more stuff like that in in the overworld where you know you could do more with zombies or just anything to make them just a little bit more than the the nuisance that they are like once you're capable of of you know fighting and, and holding your own in the overworld zombies are probably not going to kill you like it's it's they become more of a nuisance than anything else and so i i kind of wonder if there'd be more behavioral things that they could put in the game that then would open up more gameplay for people that want to exploit game sorry not exploit but like use game mechanics for cool fun things you know like if zombies were i'm trying i'm struggling to come up with something on the fly but like attracted to a certain block or uh had a certain behavior during the daytime versus the nighttime or even just looked a little bit different i actually find even though this doesn't work because it's already been established, but I find that zombie villagers make more sense because they look like villagers. Zombies don't yeah. look like anything else, right? <laughs> zombies look like Steve, the default player yeah, skin, and that's kind of yeah, sort of implying this like zombified race of players somehow, but then if you're the only player in the world, give or take multiplayer servers and stuff, it seems like there is an awful lot of zombies left and there's just you. Just you, yeah. And and I think that that's something I like about the Piglin is that they, if if they go through with what I hope they do, which is giving zombified Piglin floppy ears and a snout, then it's going to have that through line, right? You yeah. don't know yeah. how they turned into a zombie. You know that zombies exist in the world in this universe anyway, and then you're in the nether. And so, well, somehow one of these uh, piglin got turned into a zombie. And then we all know how zombies work. You know, it's, it's like the Smurfs, you know, like the one bites another, and then it just goes on from there. And so I feel like that's one of those things that um, could be used in the overworld to, uh, to kind of, I guess, make things more interesting. I also kind of, I can kind of understand how, with skeletons and stuff you don't necessarily want them the skeletons to have the same shape of a villager have it look like a dead villager like i mean i, I can see how they might want to not make it so obvious for different cultures around the world and like kind of keeping it a little bit more kid friendly in that way um but i i would be curious to see what moyang would come up with for for tying things together a little bit tighter we might see that in the biome updates because um something you mentioned just a few minutes ago about foxes they attack chickens too and they use that leap uh ability that you see when foxes hunt uh in the real world and they kind of brought that into minecraft and added the fact that foxes can jump over fences and still attack your chicken coop and 
it's a behavioral thing, but it adds, like you said, that ecosystem of a food chain. And that came with the update to Taiga Biome. So I'm wondering if as they add more stuff into mountains and these other biomes that will eventually get these updates, if they can then say, when they update the deserts, do we get an update to how husks work? I mean, potentially, yeah. I mean, you've also got the example of bees being a more recent addition and them having an effect on the environment around them right. passively through dripping nectar on crops and causing the crops to grow occasionally. And while, once again, that isn't necessarily something you can exploit, it is a mob having a generally kind of peaceful effect on the environment around them and, again, implies the existence of a sort of ecosystem. And where that obviously falls apart is that you just don't have the biodiversity that the real world has. So you don't have, you know, predators and prey for all of these different types of animals up and down the chain. And yeah, there's there's such a a breadth of stuff that could happen, but would overcomplicate the game, I think, and introduce too much stuff. Well, yeah. Um, going back briefly to skeletons and zombies, I think part of the reason that you don't see more lore developed for them uh, or at least a little bit more of a, a reason for them being there is because they were developed so early in Minecraft yeah. history, back when back when it was just a basic game and there wasn't necessarily all of this thought going into it and all of the, 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 the popularity of Minecraft had not yet spiked in such a huge way. And they are just generic video game bad guy. It's like, it is okay to kill this because it is a zombie or a skeleton. And they're not really based on anything original. They are recycled concepts that are put into the game to give the player something that it is immediately obvious you can attack and kill and not feel morally obliged to, like, help it or whatever. Mm. <laughs> and so... um yeah, I feel like now Minecraft is doing a really good thing and something we've brought up in previous shows of adding in original creatures like the Phantom, like the Drowned, like the Piglin. They are building their own cast of characters here which aren't necessarily recycled. There might be analogs to the Piglin in other types of, of thing. Like pig people are probably like in all sorts of fantasy books and other video games too, but... It's not like they're just doing a generic take on that like they did with the zombie. It's, okay, this is a, a thing that makes sense within the lore of Minecraft on its own rather than having a broader cultural context. Mm. So that's the interesting thing about Piglins for me. Uh, before we wrap up, I do want to briefly mention uh, my good friend XP, who I work with on the Hermitcraft recap, has a series on his own channel of a few videos which he calls Overthinking Minecraft, which is his take on what he thinks the lore of Minecraft might be, his own theory and pre-piglin this was about a year ago now he put out a video about why zombie pigmen existed and what he thought about you know whether why they inhabit the nether and if they had been created by villagers originally and then banished and he brought up something i think in that that i think a lot of people are now bringing up and it's the fact that no um no kind of hint exists for how to create a nether portal in the game and it's something i've seen on the minecraft subreddit recently is people putting together sort of fake nether portal generated structures where there is a partly completed nether portal that the player might take as a hint to oh okay if i finish up this obsidian frame then maybe something happens with that and maybe i can do something there and maybe there's a, a flint and steel in a chest nearby kind of implying that you light it 
Um, and and that's something that we, we have a painting that shows you how to spawn the wither. We have like hints at various other things in the game, but no real hint about how to enter the nether for the first time. That's just something you have to learn through watching other people play or reading the Minecraft wiki or just, you know, knowing the nether exists somehow. So I wonder if maybe something like that could be end up being tied into the lore of the piglins, whether they have come from the overworld originally, or whether they are a race that is native to the nether and always existed there. That'd be interesting to see if they give us any hints one way or the other on that. Yeah. We also know that zombie pigmen can get through portals into the overworld. I'm assuming that a, a piglin would be able to do the same. So what happens in the overworld when a piglin is released? You know, how do piglins interact with skeletons, zombies, foxes, cats? dogs like we don't know we will find out soon i'm sure <laughs> we'll see when they start appearing in snapshots who knows when at this point but uh, probably a little way down the line but it'll be exciting to learn what's in store for us but that is going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks thank you folks so much for listening you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in as joel mentioned at the top of the show you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat we're having a quarterly hangout hopefully this upcoming weekend and it will also get us closer to our next goal of doing the spawn chunks recording live in the discord with people being able to listen in uh, we are currently at 129 patrons which is up from last week big thank you to everyone else who has jumped on board lately and we have once again unlocked the chunk mail dispenser segment so we'll be doing a mailbag show at some point hopefully towards the end of this month I want to give a special thanks to our content engineers, as always, Cameron Sigelski, JD Williamson, and Yitz. Thank you so much for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's 100% free. You can find us at These Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm, tell server mates about it, uh, talk about it where you normally talk about Minecraft and tell them to come listen in. And if they're looking for a bridge, if they're looking for a way to get in, we did interview Impulse SV last week and it was fantastic. We had a blast with Impulse. He was super kind to give us some time. So if you're looking to help some Hermitcraft fans get in there, tell them about the Impulse interview and as well as some of the other hermits that we've talked to. You can email the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, the RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, which is where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I stream for three days a week on Twitch, doing the uh, behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can also find links there to more graphic design work. So if you're doing some video or uh, YouTube work, uh, things around Minecraft, and you want to get an illustrator that actually knows Minecraft, then hey, reach out. Uh, everything's at joelduggan.com. You can find The Citadel Cafe, a podcast about sci-fi and fantasy stuff at thecitadelcafe.com. I do that with a number of friends. And of course, I am on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram with just my name, Joel Duggan. I am super easy to find online. Come hang out on Twitch. We are having a lot of fun on chill streams with some great people. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. And if there is honey, 
Why not honey badgers?